In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, part of the Her Insight Network on Toginet. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. When I remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 23, Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know that what I've been able to do for my children with homeschooling is right. And I'm comforted, even on my most challenging days. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Social Homeschooler, and I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, no extreme weather this week. It's pretending to be England. Rainy and cold one day, sunny the next, the end. Actually, I'm going to do a little aside. I have a window open today. It's nice enough to have my windows open in my house. And last week, I was telling you about um, Ash Wednesday. We talked about no meat Fridays and giving up stuff like chocolate and ice cream and adding discipline so that the six weeks of Lent somehow became distinctive, set apart from the other 46 weeks of the year. From personal experience, if a Lent is kept well, then Easter is magnificent. If it's not, then Easter just becomes another Sunday, okay? As our family grew older, it became obvious that Lent was starting to be intrusive. It inferred, as it should, it interfered, sorry, as it should with our weekly schedule. Movie Friday nights became a routine of soup and sandwich at our church, followed by Stations of the Cross. We wouldn't get home until late, and the bedtime ritual complete with the much-repeated bedtime stories trespassed on our couple time alone. Those were the longest six weeks. Sacrificial Fridays stretched endlessly. Then, as years passed, we got busy. and some lengths, we only managed to get to stations once. I had no idea we were in so much demand that we couldn't even cancel one secular event. Spring break became a culprit. Even the strictest Lenten rule can be thwarted by the sun, sand, and sea. Valentine's Day, birthdays, falling considerately in Lent. My father died during last Lent, and a hasty trip to England to bury him before Holy Week broke into our penitential routine. But setting individual penances aside, the church does follow some traditional habits that remind us that the familiar routine of the liturgical year has been halted for a few weeks, and so at least we can feel more somber if we manage to get to our church on Sundays. The Catholic church we attend on Saturday evenings doesn't come to its knees quite so dramatically as our high Anglican. However, in both churches, there are no flowers at the altar, and the shiny vessels are replaced by wooden ones. In our church, crosses are veiled throughout the six weeks, and no alleluias are uttered. Much nudging and giggling occurs when someone messes up and says the forbidden A word. In addition, the order of service changes just enough to catch everyone out. But the music persists and the hymns aren't familiar, which makes for a painful early service without the help of the choir. All is put to rights on Easter Sunday, though. The church, 
ablaze with flowers, the air heavy with the scent of lilies. Alleluia's abound. Everyone comes out of the woodwork to attend the services, and we have a party. We reward our attempt at the Spartan life by throwing an afternoon tea in our freshly cleaned house, and lucky invitees join us for a table laden with traditional Easter goodies, complete with chocolate centerpiece, which at times has flowed dark and sweet on a fountain. Mm. My youngest son turned 22 this week. Uh, my youngest son turned 22 this week. He's the outdoorsy one, a bit of a hippie, if he knew what one was. I suppose bohemian is a good enough description. We bought him a two-phase home brewing kit, much to his delight. He'll ponder it for a few days, read the brewing instructions several times, and invite a few close friends over when he begins the process. Make an occasion of it. I realize this is probably akin to homeschoolers who go ape over grinding their own wheat to make flour, to make bread. So the gift was in keeping with our homeschoolness. Then I started thinking about the different interests each one of my children has. Their unique passion, which for the most part, I could trace to an earlier time. The birthday boy. Now, he was a stubborn, hard-headed, fun-loving monkey of a child. He preferred to be outside instead of inside the classroom. His single-mindedness worked his advantage with his science degree. He was determined to work with the animals he loved. Snakes in the bathtub, raccoons in the pool, and knew that the bridge to his dream lay over the great river of scientific knowledge. As a child, however, he couldn't move past the academic obstacles that prevented him from being in the great outdoors. For example, he'd sit for hours on math problem number one, stumped. By refusing to move on, he forfeited many a grade for his whole paper because he wouldn't listen to the wisdom of his younger sister and move on. He told me one afternoon that he was just going to grow up to be a poor Mexican field hand. After several years of power plays and tantrums, he finally capitulated and bravely skipped over problems one, two, and three to successfully complete the 17 remaining problems and get a passing grade, which eventually earned him a place at Texas A&M. There, he found that his inherited blue eyes, blonde hair and lean six-foot-three brain, could open just about any door he wanted and his poor Mexican field hand dream gave way to a wildlife and fisheries degree, which has enabled him to volunteer at the Dallas Zoo and work with the monkeys of his stubborn childhood and go ape over brewing beer. Now, my oldest son held his very own video camera that we had bought for him on his 11th birthday and announced that the astronaut he had been aspiring to be was way too obscure for him. The moon really was a long, long way away after all. He decided to allow the dormant filmmaker in him to take over then and there. And 14 years later, with a film degree from the College of Santa Fe, that's what he does for a living in the here and now. You know, I actually think I'm feeling more comfortable about talking to myself. I have to say that I'm still amazed at my good fortune in meeting Stacy and becoming a part of her radio network building. If you're listening out there, Stacy, I hope everything is well. Whenever I talk to you, you have it all going on, and after an hour, I'm exhausted and ready for a nap. You're a whirlwind. Last week, some friends of mine, Rosemary and Father St. John's, I know that title sounds like a little bit formal for a friend, doesn't it? 
but that's how we were first introduced, and I can't tell him. I, sorry, I can't call him anything else. Anyway, they finally managed to find my podcast and listen to me. They live out of state, and they immediately emailed me and told me how much they enjoyed my show and that they were going to become regulars. So now I have two new people I can actually talk to out there. Good afternoon, Father St. John's. Hello, Rosemary. Haven't we just been lamenting the fact that email hinders communication in a way? Apart from the quick hello, how are you, LOL and all that, well, now you can hear news of all of us here in Texas every week if you want to. Welcome to my show. Oh, for, your other, for the other listeners out there, Rosemary did the first edit of my homeschool book. And still on the subject of emails, I found that when I wrote letters, I used to send one to all my family and friends around the world three or four times a year. Now that we all have email, all I can manage is a Christmas letter, and a lot of the year's news gets left out. It's rather like stores that are now open 24-7. You'd think that the convenience would give us more time, but in actual fact, what happens is we get more careless when we go grocery shopping because we know that if we run out of something or forget an item, we can go back to the store at any time. So we're in and out of our cars, up and down the road, five minutes here, ten minutes there, wasting time. Same with email. The convenience causes us to be careless, shallow acquaintances. Gone are the carefully crafted and thoughtfully worded letters. And the thorough, down to the last grain of rice, groceries list. Grocery list. All we're left with is LOL, TTFN, and heart you. Oh. Talking of um, power play, we were a little bit ago when my son was fighting me about his math test. Have you ever watched a mother say no to a child's request and then endure 20, 30, maybe even 40 minutes of cajoling, pleading, whining, screaming, headbanging, foot stomping and sobbing only to give in? Wow. After all that, and the child turns into the sweetest, most pathetic, hiccupy, huggy creature that ever snuggled in its mother's arms. Well... I experienced a grown-up version of that this week. Except, you see, I don't give in, never have. And my children and I talk ill of parents who do. Yet somehow, with all the prep from years of homeschooling rigor, my children still miss the message. I explained nicely to my offspring, who had just wasted 90 minutes arguing and growing more and more het up as time ticked by, I wasn't going to give in, especially not now. My dependent unit still said, why not? Will this be the final review of a lesson that should have been learned in their toddler years? I think not somehow. Perhaps not until they have children of their own will that particular light go on. I went out, which urged the child as that was what the offending request was about. All of a sudden we're peers? Hmm. I don't know whether I should take that as a compliment. Nope. I'm definitely a parent. Ask any of my children and they'll tell you that I do draw the line, especially when the weapons are drawn. Well, it's time for me to go to my book. Well, it's actually time for me to go for my break because time has just flown in this segment. And um, when I come back, I'm going to be looking at my book and we're still in Chapter 2, Letting Go of Big Bird. And if you remember, I've shut down my home school after only a few hours and I've gone to the gym where my mentor has persuaded me that things will work out eventually. 
not tomorrow, but eventually. And I'm thinking, well, here's hoping for tomorrow. And I'll also be talking to my guest, Julie Meekins, who is a CND. And you can find out just what that is in a few minutes. So stay with me. Anyway, I have to say, I'm sitting here by the window and a lovely cool breeze is coming in. And I'm thinking, mm, I just had some Stilton for my lunch. And I can still taste it. And it's one of those cheeses that after you've eaten it, you just don't want to brush your teeth because mm-hmm, the taste in your mouth is just delicious. So that's what I'm going to be doing during my break. So come back and join me. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriend It is on Toginet, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend It principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com, and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Her passion is helping others discover, create, and live their personal brands. Yep, you heard me. You have a brand. No different than Coke, Pepsi, or Nike. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing brand. You're not a logo. You're not a tagline. The choices you make become the path you take. This is your brand. Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story. Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I see that I have Julie on the line, so I'm going to go straight to Julie. So, Julie, are you there? I am. Hi there. Hi there. How are you? I am doing very well today. Thank you. Can you hear me all right? I can. Good, good. Okay, Julie. 
first off, um, I want to tell you. I want no. I want you to tell me a little bit about yourself, and as you know, as much or as little as you want. Tell me about yourself and your children, and um, then we'll talk about why you decided to homeschool. Okay. Okay, that sounds great. All right. Um, I am married to a wonderful man, and we will be celebrating our thirty-first wedding anniversary in June this year. Wonderful. He is fantastic, and mm-hmm. he has to be to put up with what he has had to put up with for the last 30 <laughs> years. We have four wonderful children. They range in age from 20 down to almost 15, mm-hmm. and our oldest is married, and that carries with it its own little challenges and, and different journey in life mm-hmm. as far as uh, raising children and letting them go is concerned. Yes, I understand that. Are you still there? I am. Yes, I am. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me, um, why did you and your husband decide to homeschool? Well, he has two sisters who were actually had already started that journey. I thought it was a little strange. I asked them. They have children that are older than ours. Mm-hmm. Um, we had actually 10 years of infertility the first 10 years of our marriage, um, mm-hmm. and we learned an awful lot about how to trust God and wait on his timing. Mm-hmm. And so then the first little precious one came, and his sisters started homeschooling their children, and we thought, why would you want to do that? And then we started watching them, and we started seeing how their children were being raised and how they had great opportunity to um, really fulfill the biblical mandate that we all have to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And we watched them do that through the education process. And mm-hmm. so we decided, hmm, that looks pretty attractive. Maybe we should look into that. And we are so grateful that we did. Little did we know, a year after we started, that we would then have a special needs child. And Mm -hmm. she could be incorporated into that whole process as well. And I know that God used it to bring her development to a a level that no one ever expected that could happen Mm -hmm. for her as well as for the rest of our family. Wow. So you you decided to soon, well couple of years after you'd had your first child that homeschooling would be something that you would do? Yes, and so we started out um, her education from the very start with homeschooling. Yeah, yeah. So you never ever did public school or did any of your children go to public school? No, we did not. Okay. And where do you live? I live in Maryland, uh, just outside of Annapolis, Maryland. All right. And uh, what curriculum did you use? Oh, my goodness, everything that is probably out there and available (laughs) because we learned very early on that every child is very unique in the way that they learn. Mm -hmm. And so we started out with sunlight, and we loved, I am very uh, English-oriented and literature-oriented, and so sunlight was for me, and Mm -hmm. I had a blast. And Mm -hmm. my first daughter is also oriented like me, and so that worked out great. The mm-hmm. second child that came along, however, is totally different, more like her dad in the sciences and math mm-hmm. and not like her mom. And so we really needed to rethink um, having a literature-based uh, curriculum. And so then we looked into lots of different things. We've used Bob Jones um, mm-hmm. HomeSat. We've done um, all kinds of different textbooks and just kind of done it in an eclectic kind of way and... Um, almost everything that's out there, we've at least looked at it and often have implemented it to a certain degree. But we Mm -hmm. learned early on, our oldest was six when our special needs daughter was born, and she was Mm -hmm. the fourth one. And so things changed very quickly overnight. We realized that we weren't going to be able to have the same kind of day 
that we were used to having. And so then we had to really decide, okay, what are the most essential elements of education for our children? We know we need reading and writing and arithmetic, and we know that we also need to teach them how to operate in a family where there is a child who has very significant special needs and that they needed to participate in helping with her development and helping mom so that she is available to do the homeschooling. Well, that sounds like a real challenge, but we've all had these challenges. I just want to go back just a little bit, just a a minute. You said your second child was really into the science and math and you were into the English, and that's exactly how I am. And I know that I was, I would put science on the back burner. You know, we'd never quite, (laughs) we'd never get to science. You know, Mm -hmm. we do all this other stuff. So I had to join a co-op and that entailed having to read a whole chapter every single week and the (laughs) test and all kinds of exercises. And it made me sit down and do this with my kids for 30 minutes a day. And I thought, well, it took two or three years for it to become a really good habit. And then I, had, I was able to drop the co-op and just do it on my own. But how did you deal with um, the science and the math? Well, we have had a number of co-ops that we've been a part of through the years as well. Um, for, we would look at the bent of our children and we would see what's out there and available and would it fit into the day and, and the... Object, you know, the objectivity that we started out with for them. Would it fit mm-hmm. into the goals that we mm-hmm. have for mm-hmm. them? And, um, and, and so co-ops are absolutely fabulous. In fact, I have a, a, two of my youngest two children who are still being homeschooled are involved in a high school tutorial in mm-hmm. the area where a number of parents have gotten together and they've even set up an organization that has a board. And then we take, pool all of our money and they go out and they look for tutors for the sciences and for the maths and even some of the composition type things that are a little bit more involved and mm-hmm. research papers and that sort of thing. And it's been wonderful for our children to have that opportunity. We even have history taught by a colonel, from oh, really? a retired colonel from mm-hmm. um, an army colonel. So, you know, history from that perspective is, is very valuable for our children. And this mm-hmm. man is... You can't get more patriotic than he is. So he is the perfect person to be teaching American history to, to our children. Well, that's great. And I know that there are um, some people listening out there who maybe think, oh, I could never homeschool because I don't know how to do this and I don't know anything about that. And there's so many resources out there. There are so many you know, other families that you can tap into. So you're not completely on your own when you do it, are you? Absolutely. And really, yeah. you can't do homeschooling on your own. You really need to have the interaction for your children socially. They need to have the interaction with their peers and with with children of all ages. And moms really do need to talk to other moms and they can't be 24-7 with their children. That doesn't work for anybody. No, that's right. That's right. Okay, so you've mentioned that you have um, a special needs child, your youngest child with special needs. And um, It was called CHARGE syndrome. Could you explain a little bit about what that is? Sure. CHARGE is an acronym. And without getting into all the details of what each one of those letters stands for, um, each one of the letters does stand for a different anomaly. Um, There is a CHARGE syndrome foundation, so if anybody's interested in learning more about it, you can just Google CHARGE syndrome and you will find more information than you will ever need. Um, But Amy's particular situation is... uh, not as severe as a lot of the kids who have charge syndrome. And mm-hmm. she did, there's a lot of uh, kids who have to deal with heart ailments 
and Amy does not have that to deal with, and some of the kids have to deal with kidney things, and so her organs have been intact, and that's huge in the development of a child. The biggest issues for Amy that she's had to deal with, even though her prognosis was blind and deaf and mentally retarded, mm -hmm. um, the biggest things that she's had to deal with are a significant hearing loss, feeding issues. She's never taken her nutrition by mouth. Um, mm -hmm. It has been through a G-tube and um, speech because of the hearing loss. But everything else is amazingly in place. And that has been through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of interaction with her siblings through the years, lots of friends, um, God's people across the, across the, the country. Um, it has been amazing what kind of input we've had to get this child to, to where she is now. That has been mm -hmm. definitely a, uh, a God story. Mm -hmm. So did you know before she was born that there was something that this uh, was going to? We did not, no. no. No, Okay, that, and you had doctors there, obviously, that recognized straight away that there was something wrong, right? Yes, we did. We had, yeah. we live in Maryland, and so we have a lot of wonderful medical facilities um, right out at our, at our front door. And we were at Anne Medical Center, which had just begun a um, neonatal unit in that, in their hospital, in, in our hospital, we call it our hospital, and uh, so that was fabulous. We had a neonatologist on campus immediately after Amy's birth. She was born not breathing, and so that was the first issue that they needed to deal with, and then they realized uh, very quickly on that there were some other things going on, and the neonatologist had, uh, had an, I think, a relationship with a geneticist at uh, the University of Maryland Medical Center. And they were able to identify probably when Amy was two days old that she had CHARGE syndrome, which at that time was very unusual to know anybody that knew about CHARGE syndrome. And then to be able to diagnose her so quickly was pretty phenomenal to know and that. You, that and, really. and you probably had never heard of it? Never heard of it. And so we got a great education very quickly. The mm -hmm. problem back then, though, was that there wasn't as much known about it as there is now. And so it was pretty overwhelming and pretty devastating. Now there's this huge foundation and lots of support for families that have kids with CHARGE syndrome. And so you had already decided to homeschool before um, Amy was born. So Amy was not the reason that you chose to homeschool, correct? No, but she was the reason we chose to continue. Mm -hmm. Very interesting because people who, who did not in our lives, and I won't mention who they are, but there were some people in our in our lives who didn't really understand the whole concept of homeschooling at that point. And when Amy was born, the first uh, comment that was made was, oh, well, I guess you'll have to put your other children in school now. Mm -hmm. And my immediate re reaction was, why would we want to do that? Mm -hmm. This is a golden opportunity for all of us to learn and grow. And I know, looking back, I can really see that it was her siblings and trying to keep up with them that mm -hmm. really gave her the motivation to want to develop. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a wonderful story, Julie. Well, it looks as though I've got, we've got about 20 seconds to break. So stay with me when the music starts and um, um, we'll talk a little bit more about what you did for Amy with your um, MD. And... Um, I look forward to talking to you in about 90 seconds, okay? Sounds great. All right.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Join Learning and Laughter with Louise every Wednesday at 9 Eastern, 8 a.m. Central on Toginet to discuss fun, fascinating, and educational topics. Each week, Louise will be talking with a variety of guests, ranging from authors, educators, parents, filmmakers, athletes, and entrepreneurs, just to name a few. You know, when it comes to learning, the sky is the limit, and so will the topics that are covered here on Learning and Laughter with Louise. Louise Sattler is a school psychologist who has worked within the fields of special education and bilingual education. She also owns a successful company, Signing Families that creates DVDs and special workshops to teach sign language and instructional products for people of all ages and needs. With new DVDs coming out soon, check her website for more information at signingfamilies.com. From time to time, Louise will be joined by her daughter, Natasha Sattler, who will give a college-age perspective to the show. So pour that morning cup of coffee and join us here on Toginet every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central. You never know who will show up for Learning and Laughter with Louise on toginet.com. Let's chat it up with Bloom Talk with Barb Skylar on Toginet. Thursday afternoons at 3 Eastern, 2 Central. And find out how women are growing, blossoming, and blooming in their friendships and careers, health, and so much more. It's Bloom Talk with Barb Skylar. Check out our website, bloomwithbarb.com. Whether you want to transplant your life or just do a little pruning, Bloom Talk will inspire you to cultivate the lifestyle you want to live. Join lifestyle coach and co-author of Sanity Savers, Barb Scala, each week on Bloom Talk and sprout your dreams. Grow your life. I hear a lot from women. I want meaning in my life. I want a fulfilling life. I want to do something that's exciting. and I can control my life instead of my life controlling me. I can tell the world this is who I am and, and this is what I'm all about. Barb will introduce you to dynamic guests and real women who are redesigning, re- building and reinventing their own lives and bloomstorm how you can dream create and grow the lifestyle you want to live it's bloom talk with barb scala thursday afternoons at three eastern two central on toginet.com welcome back to the sociable homeschooler with vivian mcninney the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, hello, I'm back, and I'm talking to Julie Meekins, my guest this week. And um, we've been talking a little bit about her daughter, who has CHARGE syndrome, and the fact that um, Julie was already homeschooling her children, and um, we learned a little bit more about charge syndrome, but I know there's something that um, you discovered, Julie, and I don't know how old Amy was when you discovered the ND approach. Could you tell us something about that, please? Absolutely. The neurodevelopmental ND, it took me a while to learn how to say this, uh, the neurodevelopmental approach um, is, is unique because it looks at the whole person. Um, we work with a developmental profile that included auditory processing, visual processing, tactility, gross motor, expressive language, and fine motor. What happens is a child develops uh, normally a certain way. And while we're all unique, there are certain things that need to fall into place in order for them to go from the, the very initial stages of development into the walking and into reading and writing and riding bicycles and all of those different stages of development have very unique things that are, that are attached to them. And mm-hmm. what was happening with little Amy, precious little Amy, is that she would get stuck 
in certain parts of her development. And so we did the normal ways that you get some stimulation. We went through the normal channels that were recommended by the hospital when she was born, uh, trying to get her moving in her development. But in the first eight months of her life, we really didn't see that they were very helpful. Because Amy was such a unique child and very unusual for the people that were working with her, they really didn't know what to do with her. And so we'd go to these uh, therapies, and we'd come home, and we'd try to implement some of the things that they shared with us to do, and nothing really seemed to, to matter. It really didn't seem to do much. But we knew, my husband and I and her siblings knew, by looking in this child's eyes that there was a whole lot more to her than mm -hmm. what we were seeing um, and what her body was able to give us. And so my sister-in-law, actually, who lives in Washington State, found out about the neurodevelopmental approach and sent us some um, audio tapes to listen to. And mm -hmm. it just made so much sense because what you do is take where the child is stuck in the development and then you give them stimulation to the brain for those specific things that they need. And then you start to see the development happen. And that's what happened with Amy. Wonderful. So you're saying that she was um, she couldn't see when she was born and she couldn't hear. Now, well, how did how did you regain some of that for well, her? Well, they gave us the prognosis of blind and deaf and mentally mm -hmm. retarded. She really did have vision. She really did have hearing, um, and she definitely has never been mentally retarded. Um, this kid is definitely smarter than I am. Mm -hmm. And what happened though was because of the input. Uh, or excuse me, the output that she could give you, she was very difficult to test mm -hmm. and by the standardized testing that was available. Mm -hmm. And so you couldn't really tell what she could give you. But we knew because I think that's a God-given thing that um, God gives to mothers and fathers about their children. There's a certain knowledge that you have that nobody else has. And we knew that there was something else going on with this kid. And so we were hungry to find out what can we do to stimulate what we know is there. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you mean by stimulating? Say when she's one or two and starting to walk, did you have to do special things for her there or crawling? Well, or? well the situation with Amy is, is this. She actually did not learn how to walk until she was four. Mm -hmm. When she was about eight months old, we started looking for other ways of stimulating her development because we weren't seeing very much going on. And that's when we found out about the neurodevelopmental approach. She saw her first neurodevelopmentalist when she was just a month shy of a year old. So she was 11 months old. And what we were told was phenomenal. They saw where she was in her development. She was actually scooting around on her back mm -hmm. because she had an aversion to being on her front. First of all, she had a G-tube in the middle of her stomach, which was rather uncomfortable. And secondly, she had low tone, and so it was very difficult for her to be on her stomach and not have her face in the dirt. And mm -hmm. she's a very social child. She still is, but she was a very social baby, and all she wanted to do was see the people around her. So she compensated for that by getting on her back and scooting around. Well, the neurodevelopmentalist that saw her at that time looked at her and said, stop that. Put her on her belly. She needs to learn how to crawl. That is a normal stage of development. And what happens is if you do not go through the normal stages of development, you do not build a strong foundation on which all the other building blocks of development happen. 
And so she was not getting a foundation for her development. She was skipping things. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the developmental profile of the neurodevelopmental approach, you can see in the area of gross motor skills, where is this child? She was scooting around on her back. Okay, something's wrong here. This is not how we normally develop. Mm -hmm. If a person scoots around on their back, they are not going to learn how to walk <laughs> because mm -hmm. that's not how the normal stages of development happen. So we got her on her stomach, and because we knew that she was a social child, we got her on her stomach, and we put her on our stomach. And so everybody had a turn with Amy on their stomach, and mm -hmm. so she got to see our face. Mm -hmm. And we would get under her. We would put her on top of things, and we'd get under her, and we'd play with her that way so that she could develop the tone that she needed to be able to get her arms up, and then she eventually moved into uh, the little belly crawl, and then she moved into up on the hands and knees and the creeping and crawling, and then she started to stimulate the brain in the places that she needed to stimulate for, for those strong building blocks for the rest of her development. Okay, and so... You started homeschooling her, obviously, from, from the word go, but I mean formal, um, you know, reading and writing yes. and that kind of stuff. Yes, we, and, had um, to, we had to do it in a different way. And so we couldn't do phonics for a child with a severe hearing loss. We had to start with sight reading. And that mm -hmm. was going against everything that I believed in, in terms of how do you teach a child how to read. Mm -hmm. And so we started, we realized, though, that this child was very quick to pick these words up. And she started, before she could even talk, she could read. Mm -hmm. And how do we know that? Because we could see her understanding. And we could see her picking, if we would say to her, where is the word whatever, she'd pick it out. Mm -hmm. So we knew, and one day we were, she was at the computer playing a computer game. And I walked past the screen. This is the very first time I realized that Amy could read. I walked past the screen, and she's sitting up. She still had low tone, so she's sitting up. She was probably about three years old, and uh, she's sitting up in, in a, with a lot of support. And mm -hmm. she's typing away on the computer and just playing this game. Well, then we noticed that she had gotten into some kind of a word processing uh, thing, and she, there was, the word Amy was written across the screen. Wow. And so I said to her siblings, now, who wrote that on there? And they were all like, Mom, we weren't even in the room. Mm. <laughs> so, we realized then, Amy's reading. She knows what she's doing. And then we built from there. And so we totally changed the our whole philosophy of, of schooling mm -hmm. based on the, the early development that we were seeing in her. And, and it was totally different than what we had expected. And then we started implementing those same principles. And one of the main ones was input, input, input. Until you have uh, lots of input, Lots of information. You can't output. We are such an output society. We test for everything before there is sufficient input and information before they can give the output. And so we totally changed the way that we homeschooled. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're an instant gratification society, aren't yes, we? We, are. we just want everything now. Mm -hmm. We want it all yesterday. And um, I'm reminded with you telling me that there are specific stages, and if she skips the stages, it wouldn't have been good for her, of the story of, the, um, of helping a butterfly out of its chrysalis. You know, if you speed the process along, the butterfly comes out and yes. is not strong enough to fly. Yes. So it dies. So that, that is just wonderful. When you were telling me that about it, I thought, well, 
Well, if she's scooting on her back, then she's modifying. But then when you told me the other things, I thought, no, you really can't skip those those stages. They're there for a reason. Wonderful. You really um, can. And, and, you know, along with that, a lot of children that have trouble reading in school, if you ask them their history, you ask the parents the history of that child's development, you can often pinpoint something that they've skipped. Oftentimes, it is the lack of crawling or they didn't crawl long enough. Mm-hmm. And you get the kids back down, creeping and crawling around on the floor, and you will see a huge difference just in the ability to read, which you think that there's no connection to that and crawling. Mm-hmm. But you are building the foundation in the brain mm-hmm. on, so that you can read and do other yeah. things. Mm. Goodness. Um, do you have, you know, have you, do you know now, I suppose now you're in the charge syndrome community, so to speak. I mean, I'm sure you're, you're an expert and people probably turn to you now for help and advice. Um, uh, do you have some, um, testimonies or some other stories of how some children were helped? Absolutely. Um, through the neurodevelopmental approach, we, we are actually not really big in the charge syndrome community. And one of the main reasons for that is that, um, we didn't want Amy to be identified as charged. We wanted Amy to be identified as Amy and the unique individual that God was preparing her to be. I have nothing against the Charge Syndrome Foundation. I am very blessed that that foundation is available for families, for support, and I think it was, it was huge for us when Amy was an infant to have that group um, and know that there were so many people struggling like we were and to try to find answers and, and for the whole medical aspect of it, we are very grateful for it. But we were convicted that we needed Amy to know that she was God's child and that she had a unique set of abilities and uh, things that God wanted of her. But as far as the neurodevelopmental approach is concerned, we saw changes in her um, in the first four months, phenomenal changes. Um, but one thing that has been a huge blessing for our family is that we then implemented the ND approach for all four of our children. And we saw huge differences because they, all of them had pockets where they were not developing properly. And, it, and it, some of it was gross motor, some of it was auditory processing. Um, my son had a lot of issues with tactility and he had a lot of uh, issues with um, his immune system. And we, we learned through the neurodevelopmental approach that there are things that you can do to build your immune system so that then can have cognitive ability that you didn't know that you could have. Well, Julie, we've run out of time. Oh, my goodness. It's been wonderful speaking to you. I'm going to have to speak to you again. There's so, so much more, I need to tell you. Yeah, well, well, now we've done all the prelim, we can do other stuff, and I'm, I'm definitely going to give people your email address, okay? Excellent. How do you handle Thank toddlers, you. teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Another Way of Living with Susan Dobson is on Toginet. Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 central. Hi, I'm Susan Dobson, host of the new talk show, Another Way of Living. On Another Way of Living, we talk about what I call the unspeakable. When I was growing up, if there was a problem, a pink elephant in the living room, everybody walked around it, nobody talked about it. Sound familiar? 
Tune in and listen to my guests and callers talk about their solutions to problems just like yours. If you are ready and really want another way of living, then this is your show. Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central with Susan Dobson. On Another Way of Living, we talk about life, its problems, its challenges, and above all, its solutions. Another Way of Living educates and informs. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. Plus, the live format lends itself to surprising and heartfelt revelations from Susan and her guests. You'll be surprised by what's shared, what's learned, and what could change. Join us for Another Way of Living with Susan Dobson. Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central on toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Mom with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, hello, I'm back, and I was talking to Julie Meekins. She's a certified neurodevelopmentalist. And she shared her incredible story with us. And if you have any questions that you want to ask her, just um, email her at jameekins, as M-E-E-K-I-N-S, at yahoo.com. And she'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, I need to, um, I'm going to tell, talk to you a little bit about um, my guest last week. His name was Mike Donnelly from HSLDA. And he talked about the um, Ramaiki family. And um, he told me that the ruling that granted the Ramaikis a German homeschooling family political asylum in America is going to be appealed by the federal government so as not to offend a close ally. And I'm sure everybody's seen news of that. Um, I know it was on the Internet um, yesterday. And uh, Mike was very excited about the news. And so I caught his enthusiasm, but I wasn't really fully aware of the whole story. Yes, I'd, I'd heard that families in Germany had a hard time if they wanted to homeschool. I'd received prayer requests for German families whose parents were paying fines and even being sentenced to jail because they refused to send their children to the state schools. But I have to admit I didn't faithfully follow the stories because they were not directly impacting my life and the choices I make. At least that's what I used to think. But recently I've been reading the literature about legalities of homeschooling around the world, controversy about parental rights, the debate about basic human rights worldwide, and I'm sure you've noticed those stories too, And I'm quickly realizing that if we're to continue to enjoy the freedoms we have in America, we need to look at our Western allies and watch what their governments are doing and decide for ourselves if they're violating a right that we take for granted. For example, in the third world, what constitutes as protection for exploited children may translate for us Americans 
into losing our rights to raise our children as they see our, our children as we see fit. And I've learned that I need to be vigilant and read closely and support legal groups like HSLDA. And with HSLDA, I can trust their lawyers to guide me when I'm voting for House representatives and senators if I don't know really who my, who my senators, what side of the fence they're, they're falling on as far as homeschooling goes. I can check their websites and um, be guided. Um, now, back to the Ramaikis. In a recent Time magazine article, I read that Mr. and Mrs. Ramaiki and their four children, ages four to 12, are Christians from Bissingen, Germany. They're music teachers who didn't like what their children were being taught in school, so illegally they started homeschooling them. Homeschoolers are able to follow their consciences in every major Western country except Germany, where mandatory school attendance laws date back to 1717 and are viewed as a social good. The president of the German Teachers Association says that this law protects children, and he continues, no parental couple can offer a breadth of education that can replace experienced teachers. Courts in Germany rule that their compulsory schooling law is compatible with the European Convention on Human Rights, which is an international treaty drafted in 1950. With this kind of thinking, it is hardly surprising that the Romaikis came up against a wall of opposition when they tried to talk to their school principal about the merits of homeschooling. The German government has taken a position of official intolerance of homeschoolers suppressing the homeschool movement and preventing this particular social group from flourishing. When authorities in Germany discover homeschoolers, they increase the pressure, beginning with demands that they put their children in state schools. Now, the Ramaikis endured police turning up at their doorstep and forcibly escorting their frightened and traumatized children to school. Then the authorities can impose excessive fines. The Ramaikis owe the German government about $10,000 in fines. Wages are garnished and property ceased if seized if payment is not made. They may also initiate criminal prosecution and parents could be sent to jail. In 2007, Germany's federal Supreme Court issued a ruling that parents could lose custody of their children if they continued to homeschool them. The Ramaikis were afraid that the authorities were going to take their children away from them. So they decided to flee their homeland and come to America Now, we're talking about a European country in 2010. According to an HSLDA news article, immigration judge Lawrence O. Berman in Memphis, Tennessee, granted the political asylum asylum application to the Ramaikis on January the 26th of this year. And he explained that homeschoolers are a particular social group that the German government is trying to suppress. The rights being violated here are basic human rights that no country has a right to violate. This ruling is embarrassing for Germany since a Western nation should uphold basic human rights, which include allowing parents to raise and educate their own children. HSLDA's Mr. Donnelly commented that the judge understood the case perfectly and he called Germany out. Mike continues to say, we hope this decision will cause Germany to stop persecuting homeschoolers. German homeschoolers have seconded Mr. Donnelly's hope that this decision in America to grant the Ramaikis asylum will send a loud message to the German people that their country is doing what their country is doing is wrong. Donnelly says that the German government is trying to coerce ideological uniformity in a way that is frighteningly reminiscent of past history. He also pointed out that Germany is in the company of countries like China and North Korea, where fundamental human rights are not respected. I wouldn't say those were good playfellows. Feel blessed that you're an American and that legal experts like Mr. Donnelly are fighting in the courts for your fundamental parental rights as a homeschooler. 
and go to www.hslda.org for more news and information. Okie dokie, I have Kathy on the line. Kathy, are you there? I've just said that's incredible. I've just been listening to that about Germany, and that's just really amazing in this I day know. and age. I know. Nobody knows. I talk to people, and they go, Germany? And I say, yes. It's very, very odd. And all, you, all your talk about Germany got me to thinking about, you know, uh, growing up in Liverpool. Well, you hear all the stories about the war, you know. And of course, Liverpool was a place that was bombed a lot during mm-hmm. World War II because they had, you know, big, it all the docks the shipping, yeah. factories, the armaments, all that kind of stuff. So it, it had a lot of bombings, and the children were sent away to Wales. I was thinking about the schooling stuff because my dad was sent to Wales, which isn't that far from Liverpool. It's maybe an hour. But, you know, in those days when those children were sent away from the, the mothers and fathers an hour, it, it may as well have been America for those families. The kids were sent away. And I remember my dad oh, told on, me. Hang on a minute, Kathy. Yeah. You're saying sent away. And yes. I don't think our audience is going to know oh, exactly what you're talking about. Evacuated because of the war, because of the danger of the bombs in the, the city. The danger of the bombs, yeah, that yeah. the children were evacuated from Liverpool to, to many places, really, but most of them in that part of England were sent to Wales because uh-huh. Wales was very rural. There was nothing there to be bombed. You know, it was very green and, you know, it didn't have any factories, so it was pretty safe for them, but... Uh, Liverpool was emptied out of a lot of its children, and a lot of those children who were sent to Wales, like my dad, were sent to live with a family who spoke only Welsh. Oh, really? So he couldn't communicate with them at all. Mm. And uh, he actually, the, he, the couple he was sent to live with, the man was the headmaster of the local school, mm. and they wouldn't let my dad go to the school um, so he, it was funny because I was thinking about this, you know, I was telling you last week how I used to go to the library and teach myself stuff. Mm-hmm. It, I never even made the connection, but actually my father did the same because when he was like 12 years old in Wales, he used to go to the local library and get all his own books because he couldn't go to school there. And he had to go to work for the butcher and he used to ride around the little Welsh lanes on his bicycle and deliver mm-hmm. stuff and um, but, you know, Vivian, it, I mean, you know all that about all the children who were evacuated, but it must mm-hmm. have been a very, very difficult time for them. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad was one of 13 children. Only two were... of those children were put together in, in oh. with a family, and all of the rest of them were dispersed to different families and didn't see each other for many, well, probably two years, a long time. So what about your grandmother? What did she do? Well, my mother... That was my father. My uh, my dad's mother. Yes, yeah, your dad's she mom. She's she now got no children at home. Did she, was she evacuated as well? No, no, she stayed home, and the children were sent away. I think mm-hmm. one or two of the youngest ones stayed with her, but most of the older kids. My dad was actually one of the oldest, and mm-hmm. they were all sent away. Mm-hmm. Um, she just kept base, really the babies with her. She had babies with her, but mm-hmm. then my mother cried and cried because she was not evacuated because she was an only child and my grandmother wouldn't let my mother go. And, you know, my mother was spoiled terribly, but she felt like everyone else was going on this enormous party that she wasn't allowed to go on. Right. (laughs) And she was left in school. And, of course, most of the children from Liverpool had been evacuated and the schools Mm. were kind of empty. So my poor mom felt like she got left out, you know, but then she used to say how it was great. You know, the way she remembers this, of course, she was a 
kid. They used mm. to go down the air raid shelters mm-hmm. when the bombing raids happened, and, you know, they'd be singing stuff, and the bombs would be coming down, and that's kind of the way she... So she has some happy memories from it, but, you know, I, I think it must have been very traumatizing for, for mothers especially. Yeah, yeah. Have have those children on the trains, and, you know, they could... You know, they'd maybe get to visit them once every two months, maybe. Yeah. And then one of my dad's brothers who was sent away, the family who was sent to, he was sent to live with in Wales, they loved him. And he was with them for probably three years, mm. and they wanted to adopt him. Right. And uh, my dad's <laughs> mom wouldn't let them. Understandable. But, you know, yeah. there were lots of stories like that. Lots of children who ended up staying in the place they were evacuated oh, really? for one reason really? or another, or going back there later on. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going to let you get to your weekend. Are you going to see a movie tonight? We are going to see a movie tonight, so that should be fun. We're going to yeah. get out of here and enjoy nice weather while we can. And uh, you have a lovely weekend too, Vivian. Thank and you. We'll, we'll chat soon. All right. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Well, I was talking to Kathy, and we were, we were sort of reminiscing about... Um, evacuation except i'm not old enough to have been evacuated but some of my family were evacuated and um another hour is has has passed me by and i didn't even get to an excerpt from my book i'm getting good here aren't i anyway i'm off to stations tonight and then the church that we're going to has a fish fry that i'm going to try and then i'm going to the theater to see greater tuna and then on Saturday, we're going to go and see Little Women, the musical at the college. So next week, I'll have lots of stuff to tell you about my artsy weekend. So I'll say goodbye. And thanks to my handsome husband who's out there listening to me and believes in love at first sight and our four children who are the result of that belief. Stacy Cannonberg and her network building vision. The staff at Togginet Radio, Kathy from Liverpool. My guest, Julie Meekins. Rosemary and Father St. John's for listening to me ramble on. And next week, we'll look at how my parents dealt with our holidays at home from boarding school. And I'll be talking to Hannah Keeley, the total mom who homeschools. And you can go to her website beforehand and check her out. She's a whirlwind like Stacy. So stay warm and have a brilliant week. Bye. And may God bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Talk.